GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a lady all the way from Australia with me, Davina Stanley. Davina, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Kevin. Lovely to talk to you. Davina, for our listeners, can you tell us what it is you do? I help experts communicate complex ideas. You might say I help them get to the point. Ooh. Mm. We've got a lot of people in our audience who have to communicate complex ideas all of the time. So I think this could be a very interesting discussion. I think we said that we were going to talk about the five communication traps that you fall into when you're trying to do that. So what what sort of traps do people generally fall into when they're, they're communicating these complex ideas? Well, I think the first one is they, they assume that shorter is always better. Right. And it often is. It often is. It makes sense that it should be quicker to read two pages than it is to read 50. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, if you have something that's stepped out very, very well and very clearly, it may be a little longer, but it will be faster to read. So I think the key thing to be conscious of is not so much the length, but rather how fast it is to read and understand. To me, that's a much more important metric. So I've got a number of examples where, you know, a a one-page piece of communication actually takes a very long time to digest because it's poorly constructed. The the audience is doing a lot of the, the heavy lifting. They're doing the thinking, the analyzing, the interpreting, you know, joining the dots, if you like. And if you fix it and and recraft it so that it's logical and it's clear and it's structured, it might come to about two pages, you know, almost double the length, but it's, you read it in a quarter of the time. So it's, it's not, I think not to be fixated about length of document, but rather how quickly you can read it and understand, read and understand. Yeah. So a lot of documents that I produce, probably with a more of a consulting hat on than a, than a CFO hat on, will be fairly complex reports and could end up being quite long documents. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll generally put an executive summary on the front of those. Mm-hmm. You say that that's Oops. the right thing to do? Most always, always, always. Mm-hmm. And I think then your audience has a choice, don't they? They can read the executive summary and think, well, that's great. I understand what I need, and that's yes. terrific. And then if I need particular amounts of detail or more evidence on certain points, then they can go to that area. And the trick is, I think, to marry the structure of that executive summary exactly with the structure of the deck. So I think that the matter there is, is having consistency yeah. between the two rather than just an overall let's tie it together but actually follow a structure, be really structured about it, particularly if it's going to be long. Mm. Like, you know, I think that's very, years. very important. And most, mm. of the, most of the things that I produce will follow a structure. Mm. A lot of the mm. time I'm writing business cases, they follow something we've got in the UK called the five case model. So you'll talk about each of the cases as you're writing. So the, the exec summary stays yes. in the same order and probably yes. has a paragraph on what each of the big sections of the document yes. say. Yes, 
And there's there's an interesting thing that you you just mentioned there, and I think that uh, it's not on on my list of traps, but I think it, it, it's it's an interesting uh, thing to sort of follow through as well. It sounds like that five K model is a bit of a template yes. that says, okay, these are the things you must analyze. So what you're doing there with the executive summary is saying, here's what I found in this section, in this section, in this section. And can I ask you a question? Do you get to the therefore this is what it means at the end? Generally, in the ex executive summary, yes. You, mm. you get to it in the main document as well, yes. That would be number two. That would be number two trap. Okay. I'd encourage you to bring that right to the front. Yes. Because if you think of what's happening there is following that problem-solving structure, that framing, that work, I did this, then I did that, then I did that, then I did that. You're asking your audience to follow your thinking journey, your problem-solving yes. journey with you. And there's sort of an assumption, isn't there, that your audience needs to go on the same thinking journey you did to understand your conclusion. Yes. So another way of thinking about that is to say, okay, well, let's bring my finding to the front and then say, okay, well, this is, you know, here's my finding. I can't think, I don't know what your finding would be. So I, I don't want to imagine and make it up, but you know, here's yeah. my finding. And then they think, wow, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Why is that true? And then come down and go through a series of perhaps reasons why that's true. Yeah, that, that makes but, an awful lot of sense. And, and I'm thinking around business changes. Mm -hmm. Right up front, well, here's the change we've got to make. Mm -hmm. and here are all of the reasons that we've, A, we've got to change. Mm -hmm. Here are the alternatives for how we might do it. And Possibly. this is the one that we're suggesting is the one that works. Possibly so. Yes, exactly. Or another way there would be to say, here's, you know, here's the change we want to make. Well, why is that the right thing to do? Maybe the first thing is to say, well, it, it fits our strategy. Yes. The second one might say that, you know, the return on doing this is really good. Now, that could be a financial return or a social return, depending with your government or in yes. business. And then you might say, well, it's practical for us to do it. We can achieve it with our resources or within reasonable resources. And then lastly, something about risks, perhaps, you know, you know, we can manage the risks associated with it and then just show that you've really thought about because any, any change has got risks. So have you really thought that through? So that would be another sort of way of structuring that sort of story. We call that a pitch pattern. Yes. We talk about seven different patterns of, of ways of telling business stories. And, you know, that's, that's one variation of those patterns. So it sort of takes it on to another level, doesn't it? It yes. sort of takes away from the work that you've done, but actually to walk toward that recommendation that you're making. Mm, yeah. And and I, I can sense a whole other podcast there talking about the seven different levels. <laughs> <laughs> seven different patterns. There we go. Mm, I don't know whether yeah. people are watching or listening, but if they're watching, they can see a little card that I'm holding up that has our... Is there, a, is there a graphic of that card we can put in the show notes? We, we possibly could. We possibly could. It's from our book. We call it the So What Strategy. So ah, and I was going to ask ah. you about that book. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, we've only got to the second of our five uh, traps of communication, and we're talking about the So What Strategy already. So yeah. tell me about the book. Where do you buy the book? You can buy it on Amazon. Right. right. Or so, you can buy it from us. 
Yeah. So directly. Mm. So what what what's in the book? So we talk about the structured communication techniques that management consultants tend to use, yeah. and we've taken those and distilled them down to their essence so that it's much easier to understand. So the idea is that um, the book could be read, skimmed at least, you know, on a plane from Sydney to Melbourne, which, by the way, is one of the busiest commuter routes in the world. Um, and it's a bit over an hour, an hour and a half, where by the time, you know, you're sitting down for a while before you take off and, and so on. So maybe I'm guessing from London to Paris, maybe that sort of length of commute, a fairly short commute. Or Newcastle to London on the aeroplane. There you go. So you should be able to skim it in that time. So we want it to be really accessible. And um, so we, we built it around the seven patterns that my colleague Jared and I see being the most commonly used structures when people are using structured communication techniques yeah. to tell a story. And it, came, it was kind of fun because he and I get together and chat pretty regularly about what we're doing and how we're doing things. And, you know, we thoroughly nerd out on our discipline. And so I remember we were in Hobart where he lives and having a chat a while, it was just quite a few years ago now, and saying, oh, what have you been doing lately? And they're saying, oh, well, you know, I, I, I find people tell me their story. They start telling me what's going on. And then within only a few minutes, I think, oh, I can picture it. I can see what the structure is going to be. And so... I go to the whiteboard and, and draw it up. You know, it could be like this, or maybe you could tell it like that, or you could tell it like that. And he said, well, I'm doing the same thing. I said, okay, well, you know, do you think maybe there's some commonality between them? And, and you know, we, we thought perhaps we were pushing our own biases onto people, or maybe there was some common threats underneath it all. And so we, we sat down and, and went through the sorts of story patterns that we were using. And we thought actually there were seven really common ones and there are more and you can vary them and tailor them a bit. But we thought that at the heart of it, there were seven. So we thought, well, why don't we wrap a book around those and then have some practical examples? So two examples for each one, one more operational, one more strategic, just to see how people would actually use them. And we you know, drew on our own client examples and, of course, sanitised them to hide, you know, to protect the innocent, if you like, and, um, you know, turned it into a book. So it's been a really, really good adventure. Yeah, it's been really uh, yeah the, the trouble... Davin, I was recording podcasts with a lot of interesting people who seem to have written <laughs> books, is that I've got a Kindle full of half-written books. And I just know that about 10 minutes after finishing recording this podcast, there's going to be another book on that Kindle. <laughs> that <sounds> fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Good news. It won't take you very long to read it. And my hope is that you'll pull it out and use it as a reference quite often afterwards. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, I've got to do a business case. How could I tell that? Well, I could use a deductive structure or I can use a grouping structure. And, you know, do I need to just give them the reasons why this is a good thing to do? Or do I need to give them the action plan as well? You know, which one am I going to use? And then, you know, you've got some, some options. And we just find people have a look at the pictures of them and think, okay, well, that one looks pretty right. I'll have a go at that. And, you know, even if they don't get the perfect pattern the first time, it makes it much faster for them to work out what their messaging is. So it's like a little machine to yeah. help you work out your messaging. Mm. That sounds like something that would be fantastic in helping folk manage change. 
manage people change in particular, which is, uh, yes. I, I seem to be doing an awful lot of sessions in Grow CFO at the moment around managing the change process and communicating the change. And yes. there's there's some things in there that I'm I'm teaching already, but it sounds like I need to probably look at your frameworks to see if there's anything there that can can enhance what yeah. we've got at the moment. Yeah, there might be some good things. I, I hope there are. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess what what I imagine one of the things you'd be doing is encouraging people when there is change to develop a narrative mm. around that and be really hyper consistent about having that one narrative that they use in lots of different ways. So. Um, our technique might help you, you know, crystallise that narrative a bit more easily and work out what that is. One of my colleagues in my business is um, very focused around that. That's what she does. She uses our techniques to find, you know, work that narrative out and then, you know, she's a change expert as well. So, yeah. mm. I think this is one of the interesting things of working with finance people. Now, we've, we've all come through a, a system of learning the rules to do something being trained in a, a discipline where there's a clear right and a wrong way. And mm. you get to this more advanced level and an awful lot of things you do, there is no right answer. There's a load of alternatives. I, I sometimes think that the, the finance person's brain isn't tuned very well to, to react in that situation. Yeah. it's more tell me the abc formula to do this and i'll just get on with it right yes yeah. yes I had a, and then I... three formula that that are slightly different and all of them might work to some extent yes yeah, so you're then bringing in some judgment aren't you oh. and you're having to add on onto it a very different kind of business acumen and some judgment and some understanding about stakeholders and decision makers and, yes. and how you're going to be able to convince people, aren't you, that this is the right way to do something or the most helpful, maybe not right, but most helpful way to proceed with something right now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 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 No, it's interesting, so, challenging. So we, we digressed an awful long way. We there, did. We did. We did. We were talking about communication traps, and I think we've only managed the first two so far. We have, we have. Now, just to remind ourselves, the first one was don't necessarily keep it short, make it the right length so you can read it quick. Yes. Take it in yes. quickly. Because yes. we could be talking about spoken communication here just as much as written communication. Absolutely. Number two was put the conclusion up front, not necessarily the logical argument you've gone through in your own brain. Yes. So number yes. three, where are we going next? Number three, um, I think forgetting how our brains work. So mm -hmm. if we think about complexity and we think about what's required to understand that there's an awful lot of mental work that has to go into that. And we need to be really cognizant, I think, of how our own brains work, but also how our audience's brains work. And we need to factor that in because we can have um, the, the limitations of everybody's brains, if you like, can, can lead us to a problem. So there's a thing called the curse of knowledge. Have you heard of that before? No. No? Okay. So it, was, it came out of a study at Stanford in the early 1990s. And what somebody did was said, okay, let's look at music as an example. And in this case, it's a great analogy for communication. 
So let's see what happens if we take a group of people and we get them to play some really simple everyday songs. Think happy birthday, twinkle, twinkle, little star, really things that, you know, most of us in, in our context certainly might know. And what they said was, okay, we'll get one person to tap it out on a table. So just like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that might be happy birthday. Yeah. And then they um, ask the people who are listening to guess what song that is. And the people doing the tapping thought that, well, maybe 50% of the time the audience is going to work it out because it's so obvious. But mm. remembering that they can see the music, they can hear, think, feel the music because they know what the song is. Yes. The audience has only got the taps, nothing else to go on. And in reality, about 2.5% of the time, the audience guessed correctly. Two and a half percent. Two and a half percent of the time. So. 97 and a half percent of the time they didn't. Correct. Mm, That's yes. right. Yes. So communication's a bit like that too, because yes. we can see inside our head all that analysis that we did, all that thinking that we did. Like we, we know we know it, we can see it, we can see the picture in our head or we just know the answer. And um, our audience doesn't have that luxury. So they've only got the taps or the words on the page or the words that we speak. So bridging that gap is challenging and it requires us to expend a lot of energy, which is where the second part of understanding our brains comes in. So okay. interestingly, our brains are 2% of our body weight, roughly. Mm -hmm. But they use 20% of our calories. So they use a lot, you know, there's a big calorie to weight ratio there, if you like. So what happens is it becomes a bit primal. If this tapping or the words become too hard and too complicated, we have to fight really hard to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So if this comes from the CEO, we're going to pay attention because we know. So we're going to fight. If it comes from somebody we think, oh, I'm not really sure why I've got this. I don't really know that it's that important. I certainly can't tell at first glance if this is very important. We switch off and we pop it, we park it for later. And I just ask your challenges, your, your listeners to have a little think as to how many items are in their inbox flagged for later that they never, ever go back and read. Mm, there's a lot because, in mine. <laughs> exactly, mine too. Hundreds yeah. actually. And so... Because of that, those two things, what's happening there is that by forgetting how our brains work, we're asking our audience to do that work and it's an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. We need to do that sorting, that processing, that synthesising for them and we need to fight our own, you know, resistance, if you like, and, you know, suck it up and do the work because otherwise, you know, the, the chance that our messages won't land is actually really, really high. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's that that ninety seven and a half percent stat is really revealing, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, and the the idea about who the communications from, whether you're getting it front of brain or not, that's that's yes. major as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when, when we've done a bit of our own analysis with our clients. Um, and I actually, when I went back to work at McKinsey, I was telling you earlier that I went back and was part-time freelancing for the firm. My first gig was for the marketing practice. 
And so the fellow that I work with there is a, is a stellar marketer and he's great at doing research. And so he had done some research and then I, I replicated it with my own community. We've got the same results. And that was that the number of, if you ask two questions, you ask someone, okay, think about the last piece of communication, substantial piece of business communication you were involved with. Did you write it or did you receive it? Pick one and they go down a path. And then the next question is very simple. It's how was it? Was it terrible on a scale through to was it fabulous? Mm -hmm. And you'll see a huge disconnect between the writers and the receivers. The writers are much more likely to say it was good, very good or excellent and almost not going to say it was poor. Mm. And it's absolutely the reverse. Four times as many recipients will say it was poor as will writers. Interestingly, good is not that varied. It's fairly similar. Mm-hmm. But it's thoroughly yeah. skewed towards poor on the receiver's side and very good on the writer's side. That's, that, that again, is fascinating. Mm. I've just got a feeling we could keep going with this podcast all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, that, that found, found another reason for buying this book. I think there's going to be some little gems in there. Yeah. I hope so. I hope okay, so. Okay, so that's I'm, I'm conscious of time, and we've yeah, yeah, that's three. Yeah, that's three. Yeah. Number four. So how about we, number four? Track changes is your friend, right? So when I have a look at people's track changes on communication, particularly when it goes around a chain of people, yeah, the commentary is inane. Mm. Oh, that's not a very helpful word. Oh, that looks like jargon, don't you think? Maybe we should emphasize this little piece a little bit more. It's all the minutia. Mm-hmm. It's not the substantive messaging. It's too hard to get into the substance of the thing. If you zoom out and think about the high-level structure of your story and focus on getting that really right on a single page using a really structured way to do it and share that and get commentary and feedback on that, nail that down, then create your document. You don't need track changes. Mm. And you'll save a phenomenal amount of time in reviewing and rewriting your thing and you'll end up with a really clear and compelling message. You won't end up with something that's a mishmash because as soon as you put track changes on, it becomes a mishmash the minute, minute you start it does, sharing it. it does. And I, mm. I can really, really relate to that from a, from a consulting background. A lot of my clients are uk public sector and they're all people that like to get right into the detail and you <laughs> circulate a document for review you know that <laughs> of little things will come back i probably more focused on the grammar and the spelling mistakes than on anything yes. substantive in the document there are and two people fighting over passive and active language yes and yes. there will be things about the jargon in there that you just mentioned, but then there'll be mm-hmm. a comment that says, oh, I think we should say some more about that. Then you'll, you'll do something about that and address it and you put it out again. And then somebody else will come back and say, oh, we're talking far too much there about that. Let's take that out. Correct. And you go round and round in circles. I call it the chain of pain. Changing them and then change them back to what they were originally. <laughs> That's right. 
Yes. And it's, please don't do it. <laughs> don't know, do Pareto it. The rule, rule comes in that it's, you're talking about the last 10% of the document. Yes. And you do spend yes. something like nearly 80% of the time in that yeah. stage. Yes. And you're adding yes. very, very little value. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. But you're killing productivity. Yeah. You know, that is such a, a waste of time, isn't it? It doesn't add it's value waste of time. at all. Mm. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So there we are. That's so number four. Track changes, changes. Not your friend. Not your friend. Mm. 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 Come on, number five. And number five would be thinking good structure equals a list of good topics, a thorough list of topics. No. No? No. I've got a what problem with that one. Yeah. Um, the human brain can rarely cope with more than three. Agree. Completely agree with you. So mm. I think you should have three to maybe five. In fact, yeah. I'd allow you to have two. Okay. Have one big idea and then two to five supporting ideas underneath. Yeah. And I'd have them be messages, not topics. Yeah. So if you think back to your business case, if we to sort of draw on that as, as, as sort of a, a finance sort of template that can be yes. used. I see all sorts of business case templates where there are topics to cover off on. And I'm not familiar with your 5Ks, which you're using in the UK, but I see various corporate versions of yes. it that they use here in Australia and the US, where you might have, you know, what are the risks that you've considered? What are the options that you've considered? And then you get into all sorts of other fine detail about how much it will cost and, and other sorts of considerations. They're usually quite substantial documents. Yes. That's how you end up with 40 or 50 page documents. Easily, easily, yes. easily. And what that does is something very helpful. What it does is say, okay, if somebody has completed all these sections in this monster Excel spreadsheet, and they often are a spreadsheet, if they've filled all of those in, they've actually done the research and they've thought about this topic thoroughly. That's great. And that is great. But what that's not is the message that says, here's why, you know, here's why we should invest in, here's why this is a good idea. Yeah. So, and, and I see too, I think another common thing for finance people would be the finance update to provide the update. How are we going in the different metrics across our business? Perhaps, you know, sales, product, customer, whatever the topics are. And the, the topics on the tops of the slides will be just that, sales, top, you know, customer, product. When actually what would be really great would be to say sales dash, so you know what the topic is, and say, well, what happened with sales this month? Mm. You know, we, we shot the lights out across all products except this or all stores perhaps except this one. So you've got a message. And, you know, if you're in finance, you know the numbers, you, you've seen them, you've analysed them, you're, you're familiar with them, you know what they mean. Yeah, so say so. Yeah, yeah. So that, put that, a message. That reminds me actually, Davina, of a, a client that I had in the, the pharma industry. They were working out in Switzerland with them. Mm -hmm. back, in, back in my PwC days, and mm -hmm. the project was to redesign the monthly board report. Oh, yes. And they, they had what they called the blue book. The blue yes. book was about 60 pages thick, came out every month, and it was mm -hmm. just full of tables produced yeah. Excel spreadsheets. It had yeah. every number in it you could imagine. But you, you had to sit down for about, 
three three hours to go mm-hmm. through it to mm-hmm. start spotting what he was telling you and quite often there was so much information there that you could completely miss the key messages bingo yeah so we we took as our our remit was to redesign the 50 60 page book into maximum eight pages yes tell you within five minutes what was going on in the business this month and you know what you could even get it done within a minute yes Mm, so number one was okay instead of all these pages and pages of figures we're going to put some traffic lights in here bingo have some red amber green Uh, we're not going to have complex rules around what's red and what's amber it's quite simply if you need to be looking at it and it's important this month it is red okay Mm. it might be well off track but we're doing something about it back under control when there's only amber because we don't actually need to talk. We need to know that it's out of line, but we don't need to talk about it. Yes. Everything else is green. Yes, yes. Then so let's, let's, yeah, let's think on top of that, rather than tables, how much of this information can we show graphically? What oh, yes, graphs can we put in here? What pictures can we show? Now, being being a pharma company, they they had lots of drugs that were either the things that they were really developing, they were in that stage of being heavily protected, they were launching them, the growth rate should have been huge. They had other things that were further along the cycle and were the cash cows that were just there every month. And then yes. there was the stuff that was in decline because the patents had finished. So you know, yes. let's segment stuff, show what's happening. Yes, Is the stuff that should be in the high growth phase that's not growing? Is the stuff that should be a cash cow that's not producing the cash? Exactly. What do the numbers mean? Yes. And if you're in finance, you know, don't yes. you? I mean, you're in the numbers. You're, you're, you're up to your eyeballs in, in the numbers, yeah. really. And you see it evolving over the period. And, and you, it's not that hard to summarise it. That's and right. pull the meaning out. You don't necessarily want to go further and, and draw inference from it. You might, depending on your role, but you may just want to say, you know, this is what the numbers are, but you might want to say, oh, there's a problem here. That this is we, we, These are declining in a way that's really unhelpful for this segment. It shouldn't be doing right. that. So you, we need to do something about that. You might have thoughts as to what can be done as well. So, um, but drawing out the messages from it. Yes, absolutely. Say what it means. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm. And I'm also mindful, I suppose. I I mentioned three things earlier rather than a whole pile of topics. I remember going on a a powerful presentation. The course was called Powerful Presentations. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be, oh, here's how you stand up. Here's how you express yourself. Here's how you use the visual aids behind you. No, it wasn't. It was all about how do you message and clearly yes. messaging the presentation. And we were we were taught what they referred to as a 3B3 style, which said, okay. okay, go in, introduce a big topic, as you said. Yes. Then after that, and possibly saying something a little bit controversial or whatever, just to get people's attention. Yes. So tell them that, okay, today we're going to talk about three th- these three things. Tell them what the three things are. Then go one by one into detail about each yes. of the three things. Yes. Then go into tell them what you told story. them. Tell them what you told them. Yes. These are the three things. Go yep. back. Here's the conclusion. So agree. 
you tell them three things, you tell them what you're going to tell them, you yes. tell them, and then you, and you tell them what you told them. What you told them. That's right. That's what my year 10 English teacher said. Yep. And I'll never forget, you know, isn't it funny how things stick with you? I can still picture where I was in the classroom. His name was Mr. Judy. He was an American exchange teacher. He came yeah. from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Can I remember that about any other teacher? No. no. But he said, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them, tell them what you told them. I thought, how simple, how clever. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. There is, there's a load of science behind it and how the human mm. brain only takes yeah. in three things. So exactly. tell them three things and tell them three times. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I agree. Mm. So we've had five fantastic. We have. We've broken the rule. Yeah. So five common traps, five ways yeah. to, all the ways to avoid them. Yeah. Some really powerful techniques. A great plug for what sounds like a fantastic book. Thank Davin, that's been a great podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure.